Hey, podcast listeners, the Crown Refs Mentor Program and community just recently celebrated our two-year anniversary, and Patreon's been busy making their platform even better, and we're thrilled to share with you these updates. Patreon now has a collections tab, which features quick and easy access to our entire catalog, which includes over 25 of our exclusive shows and series, like Signal School, Rapid Responses, Guest Speakers, Crown Classics, Game Notes, Verbal Judo, The Wonderful Women of Officiating, The Sunday Swish, The CR Vlog, and Rule Resources, just to name a few. Not sure which tier is right for you? Our updated Crown Refs page has got you covered with a clear breakdown of each tier's offerings. And there's more. Patreon is now offering free seven-day trials to give you a delicious taste test of what's cooking inside of our Ref Kitchen. You can check out the reimagined Patreon app complete with community chats. Plus, we're introducing a new shop tab where you can grab individual episodes, exclusive instructional how-to videos, PDFs, pregame cards, whether you're a Patreon member or not. If our content has brought you any value in the past, we are kindly asking that you please consider joining the Crown Refs Mentor Program and Community for Officials. As soon as you sign up, I will personally send you a welcome email so then you can get access to our 36 Discord community channels. You can go to patreon.com backslash crown refs or click the link in this episode to come explore the future of Crown Refs on Patreon. I can't wait to work with you and introduce you to our incredible community. You're amazing. This is Joey Crawford, and I'm back. (laughs) Serve the game, baby. That's why I'm here. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. The audio experience for basketball officials. Serve the game. I'd like to welcome back to the Crown Refs podcast, a gentleman who four years ago helped lay down two classic episodes that undoubtedly helped to build that solid foundation for us as we were less than a year into our journey with Crown Refs. So I just want to take the first opportunity of our reconnection to express my gratitude for all of your early contributions and the incredible amount of value that you gave myself and all of the listeners so just wanted to say thank you for that thank you for thinking i had that kind of clout but uh, uh you're very uh you do a lot of great things for refereeing paul and, and uh you should be commended for it and, and thank thank you thank you i appreciate that it's two-way respect so joey our audience has changed since the years we last spoke so for some of the newer officials listening who might not know about you, like the 17 people that are listening that don't know, just take just take one or two minutes. Tell us about um, your life and, and career story, and then we'll get into some other questions. Yeah, I was just a, um, a lucky guy that I was raised in what I was raised in and, and officiating. You know, my father being a major league umpire and a, and a guy that was – that. Um, my brother and I talk about it, who became a major league umpire. We talk about it, um, that he gave us the, the, the passion. Uh, was he always the fatherly type? I don't know about that, but, but as far as officiating was concerned, that was his life. Cause he was one of those guys that came back from the war and really had zero skills. 
and he was at a factory and he started working two dollar games around Philly. And some this, this is a great story. A guy was a coach and a and like an AD and teacher at Roman Catholic in Philly. And his name was Goldie Graham. And Goldie knew a baseball umpire who was in the American League. Back then, you only had eight teams in each league, National League of America. And he knew an umpire. His name was Johnny Stevens, who, by the way, this is freaking really wild, was Steve Javi's godfather. So it's crazy. And, and Goldie Graham wrote a letter, <clears throat> or excuse me, called him and said, Johnny, I have this umpire's been doing my games. His name's Shag Crawford. And John Stevens, Johnny Stevens, sight unseen. Because there was leagues back then, uh, Paul, that were all minor leagues. It was all baseball and boxing back then, early 50s, you know. They sent him a contract, a three-month contract, my father, in the New York Penn League. And he signed it. And I just came in. I was like a baby. And I had two brothers and a sister. And he went, my mother, see you later. I'm going to go on par. So he took off. He went up. He went up to the New York Penn League. Four years later, Paul, he was in the big ones. So that started it. And I was lucky to be, that was it. So, you know, and his passion was very extreme. I mean, really extreme. And if you went to a boxing match, he knew all, he knew, he knew boxing, man. Uh, he'd go to prisons and talk to fighters and something like that. And then he knew all the refs. And then if he took me to a Warriors game or, or a football game, he knew all those refs. So, he just watched refs. That's all I did. I, I was so interested. You know what I mean? So that upbringing, I just gravitated to it. And I was so, so, so lucky. So lucky. Because that's what I watched. You know, back then, you, you didn't get in the NBA when you were 25. That was, you know, I'm refereeing at 18. And I'm doing stuff that I'm copying Mendy Rudolph. You know what I mean? So it's it was... It was just, it was, it was I it better than everybody? No, I don't think so. But, but what I was, was when you're a kid and you know where to stand and you know how to call an offensive foul that the NBA guys do, you're, they were attracted to me. And I think that was, and I look back on that a lot and think about it. And I, and I was just born in the right house. Yeah, I really was. I mean, there's a lot of luck in them being around Philly because there were some great leagues back then in Philly. Wherever you went, you went nightly. You could go to great places and rest and get better. They were. It was hard. It was hard, you know. And but it was. It was just great. Right city, right house. That's how I look. That's how I try to explain my my history. This episode of the Crown Refs podcast is brought to you by RefereeStore.com. To save 15% on all United Attire products, enter Crown15 at checkout. We hope you enjoy this episode.
and do us one last favor before you listen. Have a great rest of your day. You have an incredible pedigree and you were exposed so early to the ins and outs of officiating. You were almost uh, destined to get where you, where you went. You were interested in it. Like my older brother who didn't do it, he was too crazy. He would get, he tried to do softball and stuff like that and got in fist fights. So he, he was way off. I mean, I was nuts. My brother was nuts, but he was way nuts. <laughs> but it was, it was, you know, it was, it was just a great upbringing. I appreciate you sharing uh, that little family history there. You know, um, <laughs> the title of this episode is story time with Joey Crawford, as I have a list of people here that I'm just going <laughs> to ask you about and feel free to share any notable memories, impulse reactions, or maybe a story about them that you remember that maybe you've never told before. How's that sound? Great. Great. Wow. And I got a speed round at the end, which I think you will like. So first question, oh, we're going to, this is, uh, we're going to list some players at first. Um, out of all the moments that you shared on the court with Michael Jordan, you reffed him um, from the start of his career to the end of his career. You spanned his entire career. Um, what particular instant, instance stands out about MJ the most and why? You know, there were so many of them. Um, but a lot of people don't know this. He didn't bother referees. He, he very rarely had an interaction with you. He just played. I think, you know, he was so um, competitive and wanted to kick everybody's tush, but he stayed away from refs. He didn't say anything. I don't know if the guy ever got ejected. I don't think so. I, 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 don't, I, I really don't think so. I think the guy just played, and I don't even know how many tees he got. I have no idea. I know one thing. I don't think I ever hit him. If I did, maybe it was because of a taunt or maybe he was taunting two, two players were taunting one another, but the guy himself, um, as far as referees were concerned, I never heard a referee say a negative word about the guy. You know? And then it was, it was hit and his, Referees, as we, as you guys all know, when you go into the locker room, I didn't know if that guy had 40 points, 30 points, 25 points. I had no idea what he had. You go in, you're trying to, you're trying to make the other players play by the rules because he was the best player on the floor. You didn't want him to kick the hell out of the guy. So you were trying to do what you could as a ref to have the other players play by the rules. As far as he's, he was concerned with refs, I thought the guy was an ace with refs. We, Steve Javi and Danny Crawford and I, I think Derek Stafford used to do it too. There was a camp that they had in the summertime and Nike ran it. And Michael was there. It was the Michael Jordan fantasy camp and people would pay gobs of money to come in to play that was awesome I mean, it was fabulous. we were refing guys that were like multi multi-millionaires and they would draft them like they would have the top coaches in america there 
It was Hubie Brown, Larry Brown, Shashevsky, Pohan. <laughs> and they have all these guys and they draft them. And then they play. And Danny and I, Stafford and, and Steve, used to ref the games. And you got to be able to interact with Michael in the mornings. Like for, um, like, it would start early in the morning. You'd have, you'd have brunch and all that in the mornings. And, and, and you actually would tell stories all the time with one another. And, and it, was, it was awesome. And he was a very gracious guy. I mean, I was never around. I'm, as NBA refs are never around players that much or coaches. So to know him personally, I didn't. I didn't know Michael. Like, hey, how you doing? Did I did I respect his game? Sure, I did. Sure, I, but he never bothered refs. Jerry West, I was able to introduce to introduce Jerry in the Las Vegas Summer League. Got the guy that owns it is a, a wonderful guy, and he asked me. I was in a I spoke and then Jerry West was coming in after me and, and I'm talking to the group and then the, and Warren Lagari, that's his name. He says to me, he says, Joe, will you introduce Jerry West? I said, what? He says, yeah, introduce Jerry West. I said, Warren, it's your league. You introduce him. He goes, no. So I introduced him and I, I'm saying to myself, how do you, you introduce the logo, you know, and 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 I just told him. I just told him. I said, "This guy, I reffed with greatest referees in the history of the sport: Strom, Garretson, uh, Lee Jones, James Capers, J Jack Madden, Ed T. Rush, Steve Jabby, all these great refs, and not one one guy ever said a bad word about Jerry West." And that's what I said. I said, that's how referees judge people. They don't judge people and play, how they play or any of that. Not one referee that refereed all those games. Jerry West was in some big games. Not one ref ever said a bad thing about that guy. And, and, and he was taken back by that. He, he, he actually said to me, he said, Joe, he said, those guys all had that opinion of me? I said, yeah. So they all, all, but you see what I'm saying to you? Well, the, the players yeah. don't think of what refs think, or we always think it's a contentious relationship, but really in reality, after you look back on it, it really isn't. Ben coming in with the stat, uh, MJ had one ejection in his career, 1992 versus Utah. Tommy Wood tossed him. Also oh, had 11 disqualifications from getting two technicals. Oh my God! You're kidding. Thank I think you, I, might, I think I might retire if I did that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's I don't know if there's ever been two players in sports that have played as similar to Michael and Kobe. So I want to transition to Kobe. Um, oh, sure. Think back to the games involving Kobe Bryant. Can you share a memory or interaction that encapsulates I, the essence you know, of he, Kobe he would, as a competitor? Yeah. You know, I, I got to go back. You have to understand where I go with this guy. I mean, I reffed his father. And then his father, they were all Philly people. So the Baker League was in the summertime. And I reffed in the Baker League every summer. And 
I used to sit there, you play, play double headers. And I get down there early and I would sit and talk to people and stuff. It was great. It was a tremendous. Now, all the pro players played. Pro players came down from New York. They came from all over. It was awesome. So I used to sit there and talk with Kobe's grandfather. And Joe Bryant, who played with the Sixers and I think Houston and the Clippers and played overseas in Italy where Kobe learned Italian. These players are kind of falling there. And, and what happened is, is that um, I think it was early in Kobe's career, uh, I was telling him, we came out for the captain's meeting, we were talking, and I said, Kobe, I got to tell you a story about your grandfather and your father. And I said, you know what, when Joe was with the Sixers, they played, they'd have a team and they'd enter a team into the Baker League. And anytime they played, there was two, 3,000 people there. Well, Joe Bryant's wife, which was Kobe's mother, was just a beautiful woman. And everybody was there to see her. So I said to Kobe, I said, Kobe, your father thought everybody was coming down to see him. I said, but they weren't coming to see your father. They were coming to see your mother. And he was, he just laughed, it, it, but he was another guy. I mean, he got teased. Kobe got teased and he was an aggressive guy. But one of the first games, because I knew him as a kid, he said to me, Mr. Crawford, I said, Kobe, you don't call me Mr. Here. I said, it's, it's not Mr. Here, it's Joe. I said, that, that's, we're, we're professionals. We're on the. We're 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 on the we're on the floor together. We're we're fine. You're going to be screaming at me one night, and he did. He screamed. It, it was it was just you know, like that kid was. Um, I think he was the closest thing to Michael. I know people say LeBron and the whole nine yards, and I'm not a basketball guy. I'm not that. You know, I, I don't do that stuff. He was the best player. You know, if you'd ask me, I would tell you Wilt. And then they don't even talk about Magic. And they don't talk about Kareem. They don't talk about Bird. All those great, great players, they were fabulous players. But Kobe, to me, had that, just that, that, that killer. Like, I'll kill you on both ends. That's why I, 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 I admired that kid. It hurt me when he, when he, uh, when he passed. Yep, hurt the whole basketball world, you know. Yeah. I remember that vividly that day for sure. Yeah. Let's move on. You've uh, watched the game evolve. You've refed in different eras. How was it to referee for a, a generational talent like LeBron James? Is there a story that captures him and his encore yeah. presence? Yeah, you know, he's it was what you could tell from right away. Right away, you could tell this guy was, was it just by his body. You know, and and Joe Kishu, who was my my uh, guru when I first started reffing, I loved Joe. He was a he was a guy. He was a a, a, a Philadelphia legend, um, and he would tell me about players. He'd say, "Joey, when you're in the lead, and you'll you'll know when there's a good player, a great player." He said, 
I said, well, how's that, Joe? He says, you're going to see an opening like this, and they're going to have the ball at the top of the circle, and you're going to see like six inches. And then all of a sudden, that's got, that guy's going to be at the top of the circle, and he's going to be dunking the basketball, and that'll tell you that this guy's a great player. And I'm refereeing at the lead, and I saw like a little bit like this between two players, and all of a sudden, LeBron was at the rim, pop, dunking. I went, oh, my. And I, and I thought of Joe Show. I just thought of Joe Show. I said, my God, that guy just did that. And, and, and he did. He became a great, great player. Joe, Joe knew what he was talking about. And, but but those, those types of guys, Paul, LeBron, Kobe, Jordan, they very rarely mess with referees. They do. They complain. Of course they complain. It's the competitive nature of our sport. But as far as being malicious or any of that, now they got too much to lose to be malicious. You know, they have so much stuff going on. That's not, that's not them. That's not, that's not them. Last last time you spoke about the Tim Duncan uh, incident, we won't go back down there, but I did see a recent clip from Rasheed Wallace. Who yeah. said he really, <laughs> his level of I respect. I saw it. My buddy said it to me. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, his level right. of respect grew tremendously when he saw that you gave Tim Duncan uh, a technical foul, and he was like, oh, he's messing with but, Tim. I, I like no, but that. that but, but, Paul, that's, that's the craziness of this. Because everybody thinks everybody, there's the conspiracies, the great players get all the calls and all that stuff. And all I did in, in throwing out with Duncan was, Christ, I was wrong. <laughs> I shouldn't do what I did. And then Rashid, Rashid is just, again, and we battled, Rashid and I. We battled. I mean, every referee did. But there was... There was a, a, a huge level of respect because this guy, this guy was a freaking great player. He knew, he was, he knew the game inside now. His problem was, I shouldn't say problem because it, it's, I shouldn't say problem because as I grew as a ref and, 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 and coaches and players and people that I really in the sport and that I respected, would tell me that some players have to play like that on the edge. It's not, it's not, Joe, you're judging that a guy has to play like that. He has to play like that 82 games. He has to play 10 years, 12 years in order for him to perform. And that's how he had to play. And it, did he get, whacked? I mean, I think he broke the record for T's Rashid, you know? But I, I always liked the guy. I never thought, I never thought that much of it. You just went out and whacked him. Yeah, whacked him again. I mean, I he used to hate guys to dunk when he was defending. And in the NBA, if you get two fouls in the first six minutes, you usually go to the bench in the first quarter. So Rasheed picks up a real quick foul. Out. Guy's taking a ball to the basket. I'm under. I'm in the lead. 
the guard gets beat, guy's going to dunk the ball. Rasheed just whacks the hell out of the offensive player at the going to the going to the rim. I call the foul. Rasheed, I'm not even done giving his number at the table. Rasheed was walking right to the bench. <laughs> he he just he's just one of those guys that he had his principles and what he adhered to as a player, and that's what he did. Who the hell am I to judge? The guys are, I mean, the guy is a great, great player. I mean, a great player. I mean, when you when you're out there and you're going through it, Paul, that's another thing. Then you're aggravated. You're pissed off. <laughs> you know, you're being demeaned, you know, in front of people and you get pissed off. But really, in reality, when you think about it later, Jesus Christ, this is way, this is how this guy had to compete. You know, and I was not a, the, 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 the guy I am off the floor that I was on the floor. On the floor, I was a nutcase, you know, but off the floor, it was a totally different, a different thing. My wife always tells that to people. People always come up to me and they start talking about, I hear this, that, and the other thing on the court. And my wife would always go, you don't live with him. He's completely opposite <laughs> of what he is there, you know. But the Rashid, Rashid had nothing. I had nothing but the highest regard for the guy, to be very honest with you, because I knew how he competed and how how great he was, and how he, I should say, his knowledge of the game, his knowledge. Shaquille O'Neal, you know, given Shaq's dominant physical presence in the paint, how did you adapt your officiating style when he was on the court? Any unique stories there? That's a great question. He's a very, uh, he was the hardest guy I ever had to ref because people bounced off of him and it was hard. And, 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 and they were hard to referee because now you're trying, as Monty McCutcheon uses a great word, discerning plays, you know, discerning. That's NBA referee. You got to have discernment. What is and what isn't. And he was hard to discern. Great story. He stole my tap all the time. And I was proud of the way I threw the ball up because Joe Gashu taught me how to do it. And so I was two hands or one hand? I did two because the reason I did two, Joe told me to do two because I could protect myself from getting an elbow to the face or, or a kick. So he'd say, put throw it up and keep your two arms there. This way, they'll hit the arm instead of your eye or your or your nose or something. So that's what I did because Joe told me how to do it. But he kept stealing it, and it was steaming my ass. So I'm I'm I can't remember what game it was. I have no idea. And you know how dry is or talks talks like a real love like this. No. I said, Shaq, you have been stealing my toss. For I don't know how many years now. I said, you are not doing it tonight. And he looked at me, he said, it's my job, man, to steal it. <laughs> <laughs> and he got it again. And he got it again. He had it timed, you know? Because I used to stand there with it and try to, Joe shoot told me, you got to surprise the players at this level. Because they all can go get it. So you got a surprise. So I would just stand with the ball like this and look around the circle. And then, boop, 
then I'd throw it as, as quick as I could, you know. And, and but he'd still get it. He timed it. He 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 had me down. Because in our game, shit, whoever gets the gets the tap first quarter gets it in the fourth. It's a big deal, you know. So did you add that as a point of emphasis in any of your pregames? And did your partners have any thoughts about this during the games? Uh, you know, I would say that to them. I would say, listen, this guy steals my my toss every time. I mean, every time he steals it, you know? Now, sometimes I don't ever remember actually calling a, uh, calling a violation on it, to, to be honest, either, you know? All right, we got a couple, couple other players I want to ask you about. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki brought a European flair to the NBA. You know, signature unorthodox moves. Any adjustments that you had to make? No, he, 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 again, was a, a, a nice guy with referees. He, he, he actually would throw his, that, that knee up. So I would always look at him. I wasn't looking at the defenders with him because he would throw that knee up to get it up and get it off. But you were always worried about dirt too, because guys would try to beat him up, you know? Because they were saying it out there that he was weak and all that stuff. That guy was far from weak. That guy just was a, really a great player. So when you would, you know, read stuff like that, now that it, 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 your interest, you know, now you're talking to a, your crew before the game, or or, the, or your crewmates would bring it up. Hey, listen, you know, this team's going to come after Dirk. So you're out there, and you're, you know. Players, I, I think I don't think players and coaches realize to the depth that NBA referees talk about that stuff. But that's the wonderful thing about refing that in the pros, because everybody knows one another. You're sitting there, you're watching tape. You know, you're, you're tomorrow morning. I'll be watching tape. You know, watch it for five, six hours, whatever I'm going to watch. So it, you could. It could really, really help you call plays. But Dirk was another guy that just played. He was not a bad, he wasn't bad. He wasn't bad. He was far from bad out on the court. He was, in fact, he was, in fact, he was um, a pretty pleasant guy. You know, he just played. I mean, when you're that good, Paul, when you're that good, why would you complain? You know, I mean, all those guys that I mentioned, every one of them was great. I mean, why would you complain? Just go play. Kevin Garnett, I'm very entertained watching him trash talk, not only to himself, but other players over the years. Were there yeah. any interactions um, or moments with KG that you can never forget? Kevin was, um, uh, um, we, we went to the NBA as a, as a group. Kevin, you know, just talked on the floor and he would say the N-word a lot. And, and, and you got got nervous, you know, because you didn't know what, how to do it, how to navigate that, you know, you didn't know how to navigate it. So we actually went to security and said, then what do we do here with that? And, and we got a little bit of guidance, but one night, and I have, I have um, two black son-in-laws and seven black grandchildren. So what happens is, is that, I hear it. I go, I, I, my neck turns. Do you know what I mean? It's part of my life. So you hear that. And I went, 
what the hell do I do here? You know, I didn't know what to do. So I walked over to Doc Rivers. I said, Doc, could you do something about this? He was coaching Boston. Doc said, no, I'm not doing nothing about it. So I said, okay, I did. And I walked over and I said, Kevin, I said, I'm very offended by that. I didn't tell him about my family. I didn't think he, you know. And he says, Joe, so I'm only talking, you know, just talking out on the court. I said, I don't want anybody to get offended, Kevin. I said, I don't want, you know. But he was so respectful. He really was. He, he was so respectful when I, when I brought it to his attention. And, and, and mine wasn't out of disrespect. I just didn't want somebody to punch him. I, I, I really, I didn't, I didn't want somebody to punch him. I didn't know how far you, you can take that kind of stuff. But it was offensive. You know, it was because you got nervous. You know, referees, you, you, when that kind of stuff happens on the floor, like they used to talk about Larry Bird with, with uh, uh, trash talk. I never heard him say a word. I didn't care what he said to another player as long as it, he didn't go up and do it right to his face that I have to deal with calling a tee on him and calling a tee on another player. I didn't care what he said to anybody. You know, I didn't care what he said. But then what the hell did I? But but with Kevin's thing, it was it was it, it got me, gave me the gave me the shakes, you know, because I didn't want it was it's such an offensive word that that and it, and it, it just got me nervous. But the guy was so respectful, you know, really respectful guy. I, I'm a big bit after that incident. I I, I became. Uh, A big, big fan of his. A big, big fan. You know, I hope. I hope in his life he, he does real good in business and stuff like that outside of basketball. Thank you for sharing that uh, level of transparency. We appreciate that. Um, you were there for the Magic and Bird Lakers Celtics era. Take us through that. What are some uh, memories from you know, that era of a few years where they played each other so consistently? You know. You know what. And that was in my earlier years, and I was so uh, this is, I, I don't think I ever shared this. I don't think in those years I was in tune to any of that kind of stuff. I was so in tune to trying to be a successful ref that I didn't care who was out there. Didn't mean anything to me. All I wanted to do was be the best I could and get to the finals and be a good partner. Did you know it was Magic and Bird? Yeah, I don't even know if I worked, how many games I worked. I had no idea how many games I worked with them. I had no idea. But what I'm saying is I didn't, I wasn't, I talk about this a lot. I wish I did know. I really do. I wish I did know. And I wish I was more in tune to it because I would have those memories. 
but all I cared about was getting the plays right and working in concert with my partners. I didn't, I didn't care what, I didn't care what the game was. I didn't care if it was bird and magic. I didn't care. Just, it was in the NBA. I was in the NBA and I was, I was happy. I was in the NBA. I didn't care what game it was. The exhibition game to me was the same as, same as the finals game. I know people look at me, Joe, they go, Joe, that's not, that's, you're not right there. That's wrong. I said, no, it, 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 if you're, I wish I was wrong because I would remember more of them because I don't remember a, a lot of them. And that's what aggravates the hell out of me. I wish I had those memories. A lot of former players become officials. And I think a lot of the, the players and the coaches, they take their player and coach hat with them and their mindset from their playing and coaching days. And they bring it into officiating. They think everything transfers over. So I think your perspective on not knowing what the players are doing in the stat column is the way we should be working. It should not be standing yeah. out that someone scored 40 points or a, I could had a triple bubble. You're just trying to get the plays right. Yeah, that's all you're doing. And if I think if more players and coaches understood that, really, I'm telling you, there's not one time I walked in the locker room and knew that Larry Bird had 30. I didn't know that – that that uh, um, um, Michael Jordan had 30. I had no idea. I walked in the locker room and I went, first thing I would do, it goes, can I get that block charge right? <laughs> How about that out of bounds play? Can we did what could we have done with that? <laughs> Are you talking about the block charge play in the Laker game that you had? <laughs> that was awful. That was I'll never forget that as long as I live. That was the Chris Duhon one. Everybody comes up to me with that call, and I got and, and when I admit that it was bad and it was a wrong call, they they start to laugh. I said, "No," I said, "I'm trying to sell the thing because I got the thing wrong." It surprised me. <laughs> well, thanks for bringing that up. That was classic. Well, someone asked me because I was um I was saying we're gonna have you on, and if you have any stories or, or uh, memories you want them to relive, and they had brought that up, and I said, "Oh, I already asked them." Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I shared the clip, so thank you. Appreciate that. That was great. Let's let's transition to some officials now. Some referees that that you work sure. with. Dick Bavetta is synonymous with NBA offici officiating longevity. Can right. you share a memorable moment or story from your years working alongside with him on the hardwood? Now you got to remember, Paul. Dick and I go back to the Eastern Lake. All right, we're 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 in the Eastern Lake together, and he made it. Could you tell us what the Eastern League is? Oh, I'm sorry. The Eastern League became the CBA, which then became the, the D League and the G League. The Eastern League was the only pro league in America other than the NBA, and they played it on the weekends. And it was the only place that you could actually go and do loose ball fouls, call an offensive foul with the fist, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So – Dick. Joe, Joey, sorry to interrupt, but you were still calling player control fouls with the fist in high school. Yeah, well, that's true. I was. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, no a sick, you're a sick no man. But the, the, uh, Dick was, uh, we were together there. Dick was completely different than me. Completely different. Dick was a guy that he, he wasn't aggressive as I was. Uh, we, you know, but to his credit, 
to his credit, when I had rule problems, if, if there was something and you're in a hotel room and you're talking to the two referees and you're in a pregame, you had a rule problem, he called Dick Pavetta. He called Scott Foster. He called Monty McCutcheon. He called those rule guys. Where'd this come from? Why did you do it? Dick was a tremendous rules guy. But our, our backgrounds together, Dick and I, are uh, we're completely different. Complete the way we referee a game, completely different. I'm aggressive and he's not, and that's probably the the way to explain us. Are we on par with? Uh, do I think? Did I think his his way was right? No, I did not. But I'm sure he didn't think my way was right. You know, so that that. A lot of times, and, and I've said this a lot of times, I have talked about this subject. One man's way of having a career in the NBA can be completely different than somebody else's. And they still can have a successful career, which is, which is incredible in itself. And that's really what happened with Dick and I. He had a, a tremendous success. Tremendous success. Steve Javi was known for his sharp eye and assertive style. How would you describe your dynamic with him on the court? And is there a game where the two of you collaborated particularly well? Yes, uh, Steve. Uh, um, and like I said, I've refereed with the greatest referees in the history of the sport. And Steve was the greatest that I work with. There's three, three things, Paul. Rules. Game management and judgment steve had all three even even though he was the game management he was aggressive and could go cuckoo but he wouldn't explode like i exploded he had all three all three nobody that i ever refereed with had all three because you could talk rules with steve he was like that with rules. I was pretty good with rules, but I had to study them. They, they, but Steve was, we had a game, we're driving to a game, and Daryl uh, Walker was playing with the Knicks, but I think he was with Washington at this time. Daryl and I have remained friends through all these years. <laughs> and, and I told this, tell this story all the time. Daryl is the head coach at Arkansas Little Rock. Daryl was the head coach at Toronto, and he's been an assistant in our league. Daryl hated the ground that Steve walked on. He hated it. He, he, he just, he was disgusted with him. So Steve's in his first, <laughs> his first year, we're driving down to the gate to Washington. Steve's asking me, he said, how do I handle this? I said, okay, Daryl's a captain. I said, when he comes to the captain's meeting, you extend your hand and you say to him, Daryl, you want to talk about our problems? Bygones be bygones. Daryl says, just looked at him like, just looked at him. Like, I hate you. You know what I mean? <laughs> he didn't say it, but he just looked at him. 
the game's now the game starts. Steve has to do what he has to do. One foul on Walker. Steve does, Steve's got guts, man. He's not. He thinks it's a foul. It's going to be a foul. He doesn't care. He's not looking for you to like him. He's being, he's a ref. Couple possessions after that, another <laughs> another foul on Daryl. Daryl put his two arms up and went, "I give." <laughs> and but Steve tried. Paul, he tried desperately to, to before the game to say, "Can we? Is there something we can do here on a professional level?" You know, and and Daryl was a tough guy, man, and a competitor. He competed every night. That guy, and Daryl and I talked about. We talked about that every time. Every time I talked to him, I always bring up Javi. I said, "Javi's asking for you, Daryl," and he just starts laughing. Live the great. That was that's probably one of my funny, my greatest stories ever. Him and Steve ended well. Did they repair their relationship? Do they have a have a you know a, a reconnection at all? I I don't I don't know. I don't think so, Paul. To be honest with you. But, uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Bennett Salvatore has has had his share of iconic playoff moments. What was it like teaming up with him during high pressure games? And can you recall a standout situation that the two of you navigated together? Oh God, he was. I was just becoming a crew chief or a lead referee because we were in a two person system, and he's in his first year, and we come into. Utah and Utah's playing Houston and they were just they hated one another it was Carl Malone and Stockton and I, I think I can't remember who was on Houston but they were fabulous I'm assuming it's a Hakeem I'm assuming and they just hated one another and we're on the game and we were talking about you know at lunch that this thing is going to be insane because the people in utah back then were nuts i mean cuckoo and we we go out and it started right from the get-go and bennett was no wallflower bennett starts whacking people he's hitting one two three and now i'm saying i'm the lead referee i gotta jump in here now for my for my partner, it's not going to. Now I stand there and I hit Jim Less, who was like a like the last guy on the bench who never ever said a word. I turned around and I whacked him and I hit him with a T. And 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 I'm looking and I said, "There's a foul shot or something like that." And I looked at Ben and I said, "I didn't know what the hell to do." I said, "I had to hit somebody to." <laughs> to, to defend you I said he says Jim West <laughs> I said I didn't know who else they hit but so he walked into the locker room and he's looking at me he said Joe do you think this can get worse I said yes I do <laughs> but it didn't it didn't get worse for some reason they stopped they just started they just played but it was it Bennett was one of those guys, you know, in a two-person system, Paul, if you didn't have a person that was with you, 
and you had two teams that were just competing and they were going to, and you didn't have somebody that was, that was there, you know, that was with you. You had some tough nights, you know, some tough nights. And, and, but Bennett was, Bennett was there for you, man. All every, every, every night you ever worked with him. And we worked a lot. We worked a lot for some reason. I don't know why they put us together, but but they did. We worked a lot, and I I enjoyed him as a not only as a, as a ref, but a, as a as a friend. He's he's just a, a a marvelous friend. Let's talk about your ref brother from another mother, Danny Crawford. Yeah, Danny, like you, has had a storied NBA career. Is there any funny or insightful stories you can share of? about uh, the many years you guys shared the court? Yeah, Danny, we, we still talk all the time. And uh, Danny's a very unassuming guy. People don't know this, but he, he really doesn't like limelight and stuff like that. He he refed, he had his career. And I think the NBA would love to have Matt do what I'm doing, my job. But I, Danny doesn't want to do it. He just wants to golf and go do what he does. And, when he refed, he was, I, I tell this story, this is funny. Danny was, where, I can't remember where it was. And I, it had to be the semifinals or something, but we're in Indianapolis. And we stayed out at this Marriott that was farther outside the city. And the game was on at nine o'clock. And we didn't get out of the place. And it was a TV game. They're always later. So we're talking 1230. Maybe one o'clock in the morning. And I want to get a few beers. So I'm scrounging around, driving around, trying to get someplace, you know. So I'm with it, Danny. I tell this, Danny cries laughing every time I tell the story. And we're driving and I see a bunch of bikes, like, motorcycles and i'm saying dan i don't know if this is going to be our place i said but i'm dying for beer so we go into the beer go into the bar and there are bikers in there this is no joke this place so danny we walk up to the bar danny asks for a glass of kendall jackson wine i looked at him i said are you nuts i said we're in a biker bar you're asking for Kendall Jackson one. I said, you nuts. So we, we, we didn't even finish the drink. We, were, we, we got out, went back to the hotel. We were, and every time I tell the story, Danny was one of those guys when you reft with him. Paul, when you reft with him, and I reft some good games with him. At, uh, he was, you were so at ease. Because anything that could happen, Danny was so very positive. We're okay. We have this. It's no problem. You know, and he'd, he'd get through it with his voice. Highly respected with players. Highly respected. And he was, uh, he was just a, he, after Steve, after Steve, I would say he's the best I ever worked with.
simply because of that, his confidence in how he handled certain situations. He was just what a, a terrific, uh, terrific guy to be with. Terrific. Is there anything else you can say about his communication style that uh, built so much trust and respect with everyone? You know, I'm a big believer, the more, and especially doing this job and watching it for about the seven years I'm doing this, what gave him this confidence was his confidence. I don't know how that sounds weird, but he knew the rules inside and out and he was nothing bothered him like if something happened on the floor maybe i had a brain cramp and i couldn't i wasn't thinking it right i would explode because i was pissed off at myself you know what i mean i would just explode just for the because i god damn it you know i don't i didn't know that you know what i mean and then your partner would have to come in and, but Danny would, we got this. I mean, that's a hell of a feeling to have. And I was refereeing it later in our careers. We, you know, we weren't seeing one another until the finals, you know? So when you're walking into a game with a guy like that, you're saying to yourself, whoo, you're pretty comfortable. You know, and he was, he was really, really at, at ease really at ease that guy he put you at ease hmm. what a skill it is to be uh to exactly an agent and i i look back on that and you know and those guys be. i i i was jealous of of him and steve i was jealous of them to have that skill monty mccutcheon a well-respected um former with the nba can you share an anecdote from your time working games with him that highlights his expertise and leadership well that's what he is that's what he is you know anybody that can that's doing this job as a boss that's what he is he's a he's a he's a leader he he's another guy that puts people at ease um monty's always been able to talk to the ball boy like he could talk to adam silver and that's his strength and he was one of those guys too. And Monty and I worked a few ga few games together. And but again, I go back to Monty when he was a kid, when he was pursuing this, and he left Texas with what thirty five dollars in his pocket, and he's sleeping in his car out in California and going to Hugh Holmes's camp. He wanted to be an NBA referee, and he was in back then. The summer league was in L.A. Monty was there every day. In the stands, nobody knew who he was. In the stands, sitting there, and that guy, and he did it himself. He says this guy helped him, that guy helped him. Monty McCutcheon was a, um, when it came to being a self-made referee, he was a self-made referee. That guy. I mean, he was smart. He took certain things from certain guys but he made himself a great referee he was a great referee he had guts he was smart he, he was he was really really good really good him coming off the floor i'm sure the nba had had some angst about that you know 
I, I'm not privy to that kind of stuff, but it, you know, him coming off the floor is a, is a shot to your staff, but I'll tell you what, he's a hell of a boss. I mean, he's, he's one of those guys that's, that's got moxie. He's not, he defends his refs and, but he also, when you screw up, he's coming after you. That's a hell of a skill. I think it's a skill. Anyway, I do. And he's got, he's got a pretty good skill. Another Philly guy, uh, Ed Malloy, has been part of the newer generation of referees, yet he's established himself as a mainstay. How would you describe the evolution of his officiating? And is there a moment um, that stands out that kind of captures his growth for you? Yeah, Ed, Eddie's uh, the guy who was the great Philly player, you know? Uh, didn't know whether he wanted to ref or play. You know, one of those guys. But a uh, his father was a huge basketball guy, knew the game inside and out. And Eddie, Eddie has a presence about himself out on the court. If you watch Eddie, the attraction to him, and I talk about presence a lot, his presence is that loping run, that quickness down the court this guy's got 22 years in this league 22 years and he's he's like he runs like he's in the league two years and that presence i think is what eddie puts out there that's that's the attraction some referees that they 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 don't understand what why they succeed what their presence is. Why, why, does, why, why does somebody like me as a referee? And then sometimes they go away from it. But Eddie, Eddie's one of those guys that works, pretty, works really hard at the rules. When we used to, when we used to have our rule sessions at my house, uh, when I was refing, all the Philly guys would, would come and we'd go over the rules. Eddie, Eddie was right up there with Steve. You know, Monty actually flew in uh, one time and came. Foster came, and and there they were top notch rules guys, top notch. They, they were like savant guys. You know, where you, you know, they used to make me sick. You know, you're studying your your ass off, and and they're like they're just uh, like they memorize stuff. You know, they and in their twentieth year, they're able to. Do it. me. I'm, they're studying it for freaking six months, and those guys are those guys are savants. But Eddie Eddie has that Eddie has that uh, uh, that trait where he's he's a pretty smart guy. And last ref, I want to ask you about Tony Brothers. He's been a main uh, yeah. part of many pivotal games in recent years. I think the players voted. Uh, the him their favorite official. Can you walk us through a game or situation where you felt like Tony show, showcased uh, great teamwork? Yeah, he, Tony was one of those guys that always uh, and, and always will be a really, really good teammate. That's what he is. Um, they were just doing an article on him, and the guy called me up, and and Tony had told me this before that when he's done, he'd like to run for mayor in his town. And I told the guy that was doing the article, I said, no, Tony's a leader. He's going to be governor 
of, of Virginia. And he's just one of those guys that's, that's not afraid of the moment. I think that's probably his presence, his trait. He's not afraid of the moment. He's, he's not afraid. Again, I've, I worked some games with Tony and we, we, we and tough games. And he was one of those guys that if something happened on the court, he was coming to you and you were going to be able to get through it. He wasn't going to be afraid of saying, hey, Joe, I think we got to call a flagrant two here. Joe, I think we got to call a flagrant one here. Joe, I think we should have a um, flagrant on both players. A lot of guys, Paul, and I, and I wish that it wasn't this way, but some referees were a little afraid to, to say something different when they were with me. And I don't, and I'm not proud of that, to be honest with you. I, I would rather that. And, and Tony had no problems with that. He'd say to me, Joe, no, no, Joe, 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 before you do that, I think we should do this. That's, that's, Oh, that's a gutsy guy. That to me is a guy that's saying, you know what? I have my, my, I, I, I think I know what happened out here too, Joe, you know? And, and that, that's why I always liked being with Tony. Tony was, Tony was one of those guys that was never afraid, never afraid. Uh, you know, I, 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 I enjoyed being with those types of guys. that didn't bother me because you some nights you have to fight your way out of something, you know, you got to, you know, fight your way out, but you know that that person is going to be there with you. You mentioned flagrant foul. Um, so it just made me think of this question. What advice do you have for high school and college officials who are um, deciding this is in the game, you're deciding on a play, whether it is a, common foul or an intentional foul give them advice for fighting that fear of knowing they should upgrade it but they usually don't and just keep it as a common foul yeah they're afraid of the moment um, i think you have to stay true to yourself uh, uh, monty says that a lot duke callahan says it also with, with his g-way guys and and i think you got to be true to yourself if you actually believe that that's an intentional foul, call the intentional foul. It doesn't matter. If you're right, you're right. Get the information. Get the information from your partner. Say, what do you think here? I think it's intentional. You know, sometimes I needed to have my head job. That's why I like Tony Brothers. Being with him, you have to say, hey, Joe, Joe, Joe. Let's take it. Let's let's think of this thing out first. You know, I think we got. I think I think some referees on on that level, Paul, the 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 high school level, just get all the information. If you think it's a, don't worry about what the coaches are going to say. The coaches are going to bury you anyway. They're burying you. They, 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 if you think they're going to clap for you, you're nuts. You, you got to go out there and just do what you think is right. Daryl Garrison used to say that all the time. He, he used to tell refs, coaches aren't going to clap for you. 
They're trying to win. They want to win. You have to referee the game the way you think you, the game should be refed. You got to you got to have that ref that coach wants if you if you're like that that coach wants you all the time. All the time if you're that kind of guy or woman. Just do it. Just do it. Thank you for that Joey. We've made it to the last uh, segment of the podcast. It's uh, the the new favorite segment called the um I think it's called the rapid speed round. Something like that. Just a speed <laughs> round of questions. So I'm going to fire them at you. Uh, we'll try to get through these and uh, then we'll call it a night. So uh, Joey Crawford, your favorite movie? Uh, Cuckoo's Nest, Jack Nicholson. Joey, if you could only listen to one song for the rest of your life, what would that track Ooh. be? A George Benson. Uh, I'm a jazz guy. Uh, he had a, a an album, twenty twenty. I could uh, every one of those songs. I have a hard time asking this question because I don't believe you should have any of these, but I know most of us do. So, Joey, what are your biggest pet peeves? Patience. Jesus, somebody's not on time. It drives me nuts because it's it's. It's somebody told me years ago, and I always stayed with it. I don't know why it stayed with me. The people that are always late are selfish. Mm. Drives me cuckoo. Joey, your favorite arena to work a game? Wow. Oh, man, there were so many of them. I really did like the, uh, the Pacers place, the new place they have. They changed the names of them so much now. You know, they... Yeah, but I love the Pacers place. Here's a good one. What's your favorite saying or slogan? Favorite slang or slogan? It's usually a curse words in there. I mean, uh, listen, fire away. Uh, I won't edit. Uh, favorite slogan? I don't. Um, you want to pass? Call a friend? Yeah, I, yeah let's pass on that. It's probably okay. something that I say to my wife. <laughs> Overtime thriller or regulation buzzer beater? Ooh, regulation buzzer beater. Score it. How are you scoring it, Joey? Uh, how am I scoring it? Yeah. I'm, like... just, I'm just banging that baby home. My fist. Boom. Oh. Bang, banging it home. Send them oh, home. Oh, how do you do it? Um, like a like a walk off. How would I do a walk off? Yeah, walk off. Yeah. Um, you know, I would I would be patient to make sure the ball went in, horn went off, and that little pocket of time just come with yeah. a little bit extra of a sharp um N one signal, just a yeah, little, like, just turned up slightly. Like back in the old days, when they didn't have um replay, I always wanted to just do it as I was walking into the locker room. You know what I mean? Right right by the entrance. Just <laughs> That'd be a good clip. I'd like and to get just run it. That. <laughs> Another good one. What's your favorite hand signal? I used to I lo I loved I loved the, the the I know I'm you brought it up already, but I did love the block signal. I did. 
not as much as I did it on that call, the Chris Duhon call, but the, just the regular block. Because I still do that in my house with my wife. And she just looks at me. She's, what the hell's the matter with you? I said, I want to see if I still have it, you know? And, and I'll make a block signal, <laughs> like a moron, like in the kitchen or something. <laughs> Joey, this is a good topic and a good question to ask you, okay? In the high school... In college book, the block signal is the old school. Is that I hate it? No one does that, Joey. So can I we just get rid of it and just I do hate, the, I the hate, one everyone does? I, I hate that signal. I don't know why they got they have that. I have no idea. I have no idea. It probably came from like the forties or the thirties. Definitely did. But the problem is, is it creates a disconnect with like observers and clinicians who are like enforcing that younger yeah. officials do yeah, it they, when they the people it. they're yeah. watching and inspired from don't do it. So yeah, they do. Yeah, that's a great point, Paul. I never even thought of it. It's See, a question I get a lot. That's Dude. why you're making the big bucks, boy. <laughs> yeah, right. That's why I'm connecting with great people. That's that's what I'm doing. But I get a lot of insight because I'm I talk to so many officials. So that's a very common topic. I know that people on this call have, have you know heard us talk about that. So it's just um, you know we're so tapped into this. So um who's your favorite some of your favorite officials to watch right now could be nba could be college officials anybody great question um our younger referees um i tell people this all the time and everybody likes veterans you know they always want the veterans but i i really like the young guys and women i i just i just there's something about the younger people, when they ref, I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's I'm happy that they're in the profession or, or they pursued it. Even the college guys, a lot of times I don't know their names, you know, because I, I'm not in tune to the college guys. I'm not. I, I wish I was, but I'm not. But I like turning on the game, an ESPN game, and seeing a young guy. I really do. A young guy out there hustling and, and and not hustling that's a that's that's a, a, a given a bad rap to the older guys i i just think that the younger referees and I, I don't like putting names out there but the younger people to me like uh monty last year and a couple times gave a young crew an opportunity a young crew chief you know and and you and, and Monty's, because us being assistant coaches, I want, you know, your eyes on that game. You know, I want you to watch the game. And you're looking at the game and you're, you're almost like, wow. Oh, they got three. Wow. That's awesome. You know, because you're, you're sitting there going, it's great. It's not Steve Javi, Daddy Crawford, and Joe Crawford. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you're sitting there and you're going, man, this you're so happy. I guess the word is this. I, I just came to me. You're happy for the profession. You're now saying, there it goes. It's, 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 it's okay. It's okay. And there's, there's, there's these refs that are taking it to the next level. And it's the same thing with the college guys. You see these younger guys get a shot and you go, great. It's awesome. It's awesome. Because you feel good about the assigner giving them the game. You know, give the kid a shot. 
Give him a shot. But but I think that's what it is, Paul. But thank you for asking that question because I've always wanted to express that and and, and never have. And when you ask the question, as, as I started talking about it, I went, I went, the profession's okay. It's okay. It's okay. That's a great answer. I love it what you said about the profession, because if you, you think about it, I would like to think that all these young officials that are that are coming up and getting an opportunity are so much more well equipped than previous oh generations. They're coming in so much more skilled. They have a wealth of information that they have access to. Big so. time. Big time. And that's what a lot of people don't know. Paul, we know it. We know they're equipped. We do. We know. I mean, we were out before the season starts. You have to give clinics to each team and it's a points of emphasis and things like that. And I was I was out on the West Coast and it's the coaching staff and the players. Steve Kerr and I were talking and they're very interested in the officiating and they ask great questions. They ask fabulous questions. And Steve Kerr was talking, talking to me and I told him about it. I said, I know you guys like the face. The 25 years and the 30 years. I said, but there's a lot of talented young refs out there. A lot of talented young refs. But nobody at that high of level of coaching, they're they're it's they're talking about W's. They're not they're not looking at officiating like 30 years from now, like you and I are. We're, we're interested in the profession. They're interested in the now, the W's, the, 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 the veterans. And I told them, I said, Steve, I, I, a, lot of, a lot of talented guys out there, a lot of talented women. And, and we see it in the NBA because we're lucky enough that we have that, that pipeline and we have the people that go to elite camp, mid-level, and grassroots, and you see this talent, and you go, "Oh my God!" And you hit it on the head. There, they have all these. They have the computer. They, they have you. They have what you're doing. What you're doing for refereeing is fabulous. It's, it's tremendous. So it's, 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 it's. It, I just, I just think we're in pretty good hands. Do we have the numbers? No. The numbers are throughout the United States are dwindling. We all know that in, in, in all the sports. But, but I think our, our sport, our officiating, not I think, I know, we're in good hands. A couple more, Joey. What is the funniest thing a coach, a fan, or a player has said to you on the court? I've said this before. The guy was a season ticket holder for the Knicks, and I tell this story all the time. And he was the funniest guy. And he used to say stuff. And it was like, I, I had no idea at the time what he was talking about because he was talking to players. He talked to everybody. So I get a, I get a bang, bang play on the baseline. And I was just starting to go bald and back. And I had the spot just in the spot like this. And he goes like this. Joey, Joey, flesh-colored yarmulke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
how do you not laugh at that? How do you not laugh? So I told him that too, this guy, he was, a, he was an ace. I, I, I really liked the guy, you know, I told him, I said, and it was years later, I told him, I said, it may have been the funniest thing I've ever, I've ever heard. He was, he was just a funny, funny guy. And I've had a lot of funny stuff happen to me, but that guy was, he was, the, he was an ace. That's funny. I never, I never heard anybody else talk about a yarmulke perfectly covering a man's bald spot, but I think about that all the time. I look at the bald spot sometimes in the mirror in my head, and I say a yarmulke would fit perfectly right over that area. Yeah, that's what he thought of. And it was, it was hysterical. Hysterical. Um, Joey, what do officials do we, that make you cringe? We know coming late makes you cringe. What else do they do maybe on the court? That you just see it and you're like, oh. On the court, when I see um, uh, the uh, overreacting with coaches to be too friendly uh, versus just being professional, uh, I, we talk to our refs about that, uh, where, where they stay too long, they don't get in and get out, give the coach your comment, don't try to dazzle them with your knowledge. Don't try to uh, make the conversation longer to make you look better. Just get in and get out. Be professional. All, they, all the coach cares about is you getting the plays correct. That's it. Doesn't care about your knowledge about basketball that you played Division Three and you were uh, high school, uh, you're in the high school Hall of Fame or something. They don't care. They don't care. They just want you to get the plays right. And I think sometimes when uh, refs try to, um, I'm trying to think of the gun, think of the word. I, I don't know. I can't really come up with a word, but it's 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 a uh, ingratiate. Excuse me, Paul. Okay. Ingratiate. Yeah, I, I think I think it isn't. A lot of people think that it's about relationships with coaches. It isn't about relationships with coaches. It's about getting the plays right with coaches. They're not, that's what they want. They want you to get the plays right. They don't want you to be your, be your friend. You're not out there to be anybody's friend. You're referee the game. I just looked up ingratiate to bring oneself into favor with someone by flattering or trying to please them. Wow. Honestly, yeah, there it is. There's the word. Perfect. And I just got my college degree late in life too. I, I didn't get it early. I got it in like when I, my late fifties. I was considered a complete moron when I came out of high school. So I never, I never went. I never finished. So I went and got it late. I fooled them. You fooled them. <laughs> You've been fooling them for years. Yeah, yeah I guess I, I, I think so. Joey, I can't thank you enough for your time. This was highly entertaining. Um, appreciate all the the fond memories and, and stories you were able to pull. Oh, I appreciate the questions. Your brain. Um, any final words for the passionate, dedicated audience of officials that are listening now? Just keep reffing. Paul, keep doing what you're doing. And all the guys that are on it, please keep doing what you're doing because you're making refereeing better. And, and that's what this is about. It's making refereeing better. And, and and we have a we have a duty to do it because it's been good to us and we have a duty to do it we have we it, it, it has to be it has to be part of us until we go in the box 
That's how I look at it. My wife gets pissed off at that when I make that statement. <laughs> you know, this juncture, I don't care. <laughs> 51 years. But it, it's, it's um, but thank you, Paul. Thank you for thinking of me again and putting me on. It, it's uh, anything that I could ever do, uh, please ask. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. Serve the game. Right, Johnny Gleach reaching out. Uh, we're going knee tuck. Comfortable feel. You know, easy to put on in the locker room before a game. I'll put them, hang my shirt up, put them on the shirt. Once you pop your shirt on, after you're done with stretching and warming up, you know, they clip real quick. You can have a little slide, slide band to tighten them up and down. I like to go tight, just like a sneaker. When you place your shoes up, you like it tight. It's going to loosen up after the game goes as you run, as your muscles flex. And they never ride up. Some, you know, I, I've had good success with these, keeping my shirt in. Uh, when you're at the free throw line, uh, watching the game, you don't want to be messing with your shirt, messing, messing with your shirt, messing with your pants. Uh, knee tucks are, you know, the way that, that helps us to not do that. I firmly believe in using knee tucks. Shout out knee tucks, man. Perfect fit.